Welcome to the Life Billions podcast, episode one. I am Gosta and I'm joined by my co-host Alex. Life Billions is the podcast where we hang out, talk about games, game dev, and anything and everything going on in the Adelaide and Australian game dev ecosystem. For our first episode, we'll be explaining a bit about Life Billions, what we're about ourselves, Um, and later we'll be talking to Dan Thorsland from Flint's University, who previously has worked at Chrome Studios, Brat Bear Games, and Mighty Kingdom. Alex, here we, are. here we are. How you doing? Not too bad. Yourself? Not bad. Not like we were just talking five seconds ago. <laughs> we're also joined by our co-host uh, Craig. Craig the bot is recording. <laughs> yeah, Craig does all the recording for us. <laughs> Alex, do you want to yeah. explain to everyone uh, what you do at Melonhead? Absolutely. Uh, well, yeah, as Costa uh, just said, I'm. Alex, I'm from a, a local studio called Melonhead Games. Um, so glad we're not recording video because my eyes just flared up so huge it scared me. <laughs> I just get really excited about Melonhead. Um, yeah, so we're a local uh, studio um, made up of myself, Patrick Webb, and George Martin. Um, we're working on our first project at the moment, uh, Rooftop Renegade, um, which uh we've taken to a bunch of events like pax and avcon and been working on it for a good couple of years and uh it's really our first foray into the local game scene you know before that we didn't know anything about it um came in as artists and decided on a whim to start a business and um yeah here we are what do you hope to get out of uh this podcast and we hope that everyone will you know enjoy and listen to well yeah so Adelaide's got a like a unique environment with you know it's also similar with other startups where where we're large enough that we can contend with the 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 big cities but um we're tight-knit enough that you know everyone knows each other and stuff like that so I really want you know this podcast to be something where you know we can bring local people on, people on, promote their projects, get everyone familiar with each other, um, kind of lack of a better term, like legitimize the whole operation in a way. Like there's already great work being done out there. Um, I said uh, my, I guess what coworker, one of my best friends, uh, Pat. You know he's doing an awesome job with uh, James Marshall hosting the. AGD Unwind, where you know a lot of the locals are meeting up, talking game, talking shop. Um, we've met a few people that we're doing, getting to do uh, like contract work through that. Um, so yeah, this is just another one of those of like. So it's really about giving the giving a voice to the ecosystem. That's uh, it. Getting you know giving a, a place for people to come and talk about uh, what's you know worrying them in game dev and give them a place to learn about game dev and also just um, connect people within the ecosystem and promote people really. Um, there's a huge you know, ecosystem like you said here, lots of indie game devs and uh, yeah, it'd be great to give them a voice. 100% because that's something we're finding now, you know, with, um, you know, we haven't released our first title yet, but we're working towards it and the marketing is something that just gets so tricky. So if this is something that can, you know, help indie studios get closer towards whatever the goal is, publishing, self-publishing, then, you know, it's all gravy. Yeah. 
How well, about yourself, Costa? When you tell, uh, yeah, out. yeah, I'm a co-founder of Mutiny Games, um, an Australian independent game studio, uh, which was formed last year in 2019. So we're developing uh, bite-sized video games that can be used for medical screening of cognitive impairment. So that means basically games that are aimed at older adults um, and can be used to screen for. Uh, disorders and uh you know conditions like dementia so you know requires a person to play a game and then we can understand the actions that they've taken and we can give them insights into how they're doing as well so it's uh focusing on adventure games initially similar to sort of 90s point and click adventure games the first game we're working on is called Woolpack in um it's a game set in australiana uh, steampunk uh, environment, which is pretty cool. We've got a lot of funky characters, and uh, there's about a team of eight of us at the moment, different uh, disciplines. we got 2D artists, some 3D artists, game designers, programmers, uh, a whole bunch of different people. Um, yeah, it's really interesting, and it's kind of awesome just stepping into the ecosystem myself. haven't really been in it all that long, but seeing that there's you know, it's really inspired uh, myself and, and yourself to, to get into this, but it was seeing that there's so many other passionate people who are also trying to do cool things in this scene. You know, just going to one of those AGD events, we saw so many people there who were just had their own projects, doing their own thing, which is just something you don't see in any other ecosystem or any other you know industry that uh, I've seen here in Adelaide. Yeah, that's right. Yeah, we were talking about this the other week. How Game development, uh, kind of like the point of difference with a regular startup. I say regular. What's a regular startup? But you know, like a um, you know, with a you know, like a business startup, not a not a game startup. Let's say with a it's, with a with a hockey stick growth. Hockey. With, what does that mean? <laughs> like yeah, a stick. Yeah, like a stick on the graph. Like it's gonna exponential oh, like, growth, as they say. All right, so it drops first, and then it. Yes. Up. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, nice, nice. Um, yeah, like the the game development startup community, it's it's their passion, it's their life. Like you know, uh, you know, as many artists and that would know, and you know, games is an art form that, you know, unfortunately, where you get used to not making a lot of money, if any money. So it has to be that passion that drives it, you know, and hmm. yeah, and that that comes through in the the work and the community. What's your what's your background, um, Alex? So people people understand where you came from, and it's you know you don't have to be this expert to to start something. Yeah, right. Well, so uh, I'm Italian on my dad's side, and uh, <laughs> Irish on my mother's. Um, no, my background. Uh, so yeah, my it's uh, interesting. So not interesting. Interesting to me. <laughs> um, it's always like computer based. So mine's really in web development, graphic design, that sort of stuff. I transitioned into game art. Um, and then from the, so from there, it's uh, 3D modeling, texturing, environment creation, um, the web development stuff that helps when I'm doing like the menus and the UIs and all that kind of stuff. But yeah, really me getting into games is only uh, in the last five years. Before that, it was, yeah, web development, graphic design um 
yeah, those those sorts of roles, which lend themselves into into this. It's I'm still you know staring at a screen for fourteen hours a day. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And how about yourself? With your background, Costa? Uh, my background is uh, it's a bit of a windy one, but uh, started. You've got an interesting one because you're because I just cut you off. I'm sorry, but you're because uh, right. you said before like you're just into games, but you know. You were in, you were you know writing reviews for them in high school. And... Yeah, 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 yeah. It's a windy one. I I, I started off uh, in uh, computer science. I was studying computer science and programming, lots of that. And on the side, I was uh, reviewing video games for a, a small website here in Adelaide called Analog Addiction, which isn't I don't think around anymore. But um, you know, I was reviewing games. Uh, doing all sorts of things you do as, you know, uh, a writer on a website. Um, and then I have had a couple of run-ins with uh, some innovation competitions or some hackathons, which I think are, you know, a really awesome way of getting your name out there and also just trying something new, new idea. And uh, from there, I uh, started a startup, uh, which was in telecommunications, drones, then from there, we just sort of, you know, spiraled into another startup. Uh, as you do with a startup, you know, it might not always be successful initially. Um, and uh, I co-founded Mutiny Games with my co-founder, Simon, uh, last year. And all about uh, building tools and building games specifically for health, uh, you know, for assessing health. And, uh, yeah, we're really excited. So, you know, it, it just shows, I think, just the, between the two stories that you you know of between both of us in our history you, you don't have to have started as you know uh, a game designer or or something like that it's just sort of from a passion that you know you, you get thrust into it and you know you, mm. end, you end up where you are and you, yeah you do your own thing yeah i took the wrong bus i uh <laughs> i don't know where i was going but i, I didn't mean to end up uh, at uni where are you now <laughs> Yeah, <laughs> I haven't found the right bus. No, I'm on the. I'm on the. I think we're both on the right bus. Yeah, man. Yeah. Nah, it's nothing's ever felt this right, you know. Like, uh, you know, never had the the drive for something this strong, and you know, you know, so you know, you're you're very you know, startup focused and stuff, and that's how we met. Um, while you're working on your your other startup, you were saying the telecommunications one. Yeah, and um, the hub you were at, you know, I, I was on the the web development for that, and um, yeah, didn't even know you, you know, you had that game background, you know. We, we, I, think, we, I think you, I think you had mentioned like Banjo Kazooie or something, and that was what tipped me off. I was like, how yeah. do you know that? <laughs> <laughs> there's a yeah, dude. There's, I'd love to get the photo of it. There's a photo of you and I talking casually because we're posing for a photo shoot. And uh, it's like when we're really talking about this and like, I look really uneasy because like, I didn't know you're into games and you're asking me all these questions. I'm like, what's his angle? What do you think I'm like spying on you or something? No, no, I was like, I don't know. Here comes the the insult. Here comes something. (laughs) Didn't happen, which is good. Yeah, yeah, no, it's a a great photo. I want to get a copy of. (laughs) Awesome. I think we've got a frame now. That's the thing. Yeah, man. All right, cool. Um, well, next we'll be interviewing Dan Thorsen. Yeah. So, thank you, Dan. Thanks for joining us. Uh, oh, nice great to, to have you here. 
So this is our first show. Um, we thought, who best to have than Dan Thorsland, <laughs> the most really? vocal guy in Adelaide ecosystem. <laughs> the loudest. The loudest guy. Yeah. <laughs> That's it. So how about um, just telling everyone, uh, you know, what you're working on and what you're doing and, uh, you know, where you got your start? Yeah, well, you know, I'd say I got my start in game dev here in South Australia. So I, I was about 20 years in the creative industries. I'd done a little bit of digital back in the U.S. for about four or five years, mostly web development and stuff like that. I did a probably, oh, I don't know, it was like Flash 1.5. I did a Flash website. Um, yeah, a long yeah, time ago. Cool. <laughs> I think it was like 96 and 97. And I was still working as a comic book editor at DC. And Intel came to... DC Comics and said, look, we'll spend 65 grand building, you know, like an, you know, an interactive animated comic book uh, in the webs. Um, um, and, you know, the guy who was running DC at the time, Paul Levitz, was so not into digital. And he just said, man, don't touch it. I don't want Superman or Batman anywhere near that stuff because I don't get how the rights work. So uh, there were a bunch of guys. Uh, Jim Owsley was one of them who owned the rights to the comic book that I was working on with him, which I can't even remember the name of it, to be honest. That's, that's how long ago it was. And, um, and yeah, we scanned all the pages in and we sent it off and they broke it down into layers and illustrator and they, you know, did all the vector animation and flash and sent it back to us. And I said, man, this is cool. Well, you know, and I quit, I left, I left comics and I went straight into web dev and then about, I think it was about five years after that, that I moved to South Australia and interviewed at Ratbag um, way back when, way, way, way back when. And uh, I guess it was 2001. And yeah, I managed to get a job there. I don't know how I managed to talk myself into that because I'd never <laughs> done console development before. And what I, I think you guys don't even know is that the, the first production gig I was doing was for Rockstar. So really? it was... Yeah, so we were doing a PlayStation 2 game that was meant to be kind of a Mad Max riff. I think it ended up oh, yeah. being called Icon, and um, we got maybe about a year into it, and then Rockstar just pulled the plug on everything other than Grand Theft Auto because they were kind of making a little money off Grand Theft yeah. Auto. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. <laughs> that, was, that was an adventure. So it was my, my first experience of nearly being you know, fired after working on a multi-million dollar video game project. <laughs> Many more to follow. <laughs> yeah, but it was cool because I, I work with um, the lead programmer. It was a guy named Fran Afool, and he went on to be lead tech on L.A. Noir, and he wow. worked at Ubisoft, and he's working over at Riot Games now with a whole bunch of ex-Rackbag guys. Um, so Tony Albrecht knows him really well. And Fran was amazing. I mean, I really owe him my sanity. Like, I had no idea what I was doing in terms of console development, you know. I was good at running a team because I'd yeah. done a lot of production work, but I'd never done, you know, PlayStation 2 development, that's for sure. Yeah. yeah. And uh, Fran was just incredibly generous, um, you know, with his time and onboarding me, and, and we just fought tooth and nail to try to keep that project going. And it was so yeah. far behind schedule when I took it over. Yeah. Yeah. As they always what was the jump like from you know from comic books into into video games was it a big it transition cool. oh yeah it, yeah yeah if you think about it you know when 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 you're working in comics everything that you do you do it in a really quick sprint so you i at peak you were doing about 250 pages of original editorial every month and you had multiple teams working on it 
and strangely enough, fast forward to today, it was the same thing as back then, they all work remotely. So you didn't have these big studios of comic book artists and writers, they all worked out of their houses all around the country, and we'd FedEx stuff around. This is before even email was around. Like I remember yeah. the first time somebody emailed me a script, it was like a vivid memory. And my <laughs> 300 baud modem on, you know, my, Mac, uh, my Macintosh enhanced. <laughs> Through a came and then <laughs> got matrix printer and then you know i'd snap the edges off and hand it to the artist but we do we would just fedex the work around you spent a lot of time on the phone we didn't have video conferencing none of that so um so it was really interesting and so you'd have a team of about 30 people but they would all do four-week sprints and then you'd do 22 pages and send it off to the printer and then you know in a month or two you might get a letter back saying if you did a decent job and it was cool mm. Yeah. Um, but then when I went into digital, it, it was that immediacy, you know, and at that point you weren't giving a lot of control to the audience in terms of how they, you know, were participating in the story yeah. you were creating. You didn't get a lot of feedback from them, but it still moved. It still responded to you clicking on it. And that was, that was cool. And then when you get into console development, forget it. Like, it's like, you know, they got control of the camera. You've got, you're dealing with physics, you're dealing with lighting. And back then, you know, this is long before you youngsters got in, you had proprietary engines. Yeah. So half your budget was consumed just writing code. You weren't working in Unreal or Unity. And that was, wow, that was a, that was a revelation. It changed, like, it changed your mind, you know, blew, blew your mind back then. <laughs> well, in, in good ways and bad. I mean, the, the yeah. difference was just that, like I, I, I then started to understand the fundamentals of the systems and the limitations I had to work in. And I think that was my advantage is being like raw console development when you're working, mm. talking to the guys that are making the engine and you're requesting features, mm. constantly designing to the capability of the system you either have or you might get in six months. So you're being really agile about what you're going to do and how your scope works. Nowadays, it's just like, you know, you see most of the stuff that's in, you know, particularly on mobile, it's whatever the default Unity function set yeah. is, and you're working yeah. to that, which is good and bad. Mm -hmm. um, but back then, it was much more innovative because you were, you were you know, the, the big sticking point with that Rockstar thing is that we had a driving, shooting, and, you know, a quarter shooter game, but you were loading back and forth between environments because that's the yeah. tech you had. And then, you know, Rockstar shows a preview of their first GTA and you're getting in and out of the car. Yeah. We're like, oh man, <laughs> we can't do that. We have no idea how to resolve that, right? Yeah. And then, yeah, yeah, yeah. I, I had to fly to New York and like go to the Rockstar offices and spent like five days getting grilled on, are you going to be able to get in and out of the car in the game you're making, Dan? Oh. I was like, man. Yeah. <laughs> Now it's, just, yeah, now it's just, yeah, now it's just, you know, trivial, yeah, that's the, the easiest then, thing, was, yeah. And, that, and that's the thing, it's like in the early days, even going all the way into, you know, late stage PlayStation 2 stuff, you had so little memory and resources to work with, mm. you didn't really have any, like, off-the-shelf engine you could use, you were, you were constantly trying to figure out how to solve technical problems, and I remember, like, there was a Transformers game that, I think Atari Melbourne House, um, which ended up becoming Chrome Melbourne um, did, and they were rendering trees. Like it was this amazing Transformers game where they were rendering trees from the background and they had forest technology. And now mm -hmm. it's just like people don't even think about that crap. Yeah, you know? yeah, exactly. So you and started. It, so it was cool. 
Yeah, so you um, so you, you know, you you transitioned into video games. Why have you you stayed in? You know, why have you stayed in the game? You haven't gone to something That's else. So good, come on, you know why? <laughs> well, for folks who might be listening to this podcast who are my age, and I'm, you know, I'm a I'm formerly a boomer. I am a pre sixty four bub. Um, it, it 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 absolutely keeps you young and vital to constantly move into different technology platforms. Because it always comes down to the story and the experience and how well you're collaborating with a creative team around you, and you know, and I know Tony Lawrence at Muddy Kingdom says this as well. It's like when you when you work on a film shoot, no offense to film people. When you're working, you know, with a group of writers, no offense to novelists or anything else. It's fun, but when you're working on a game, you're on all eight cylinders all the time because it's mm. such a dynamic and fluid creative environment. Mm. It's amazing. Mm. I love it, and it changes constantly. Yeah. 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 So, so now, so now you're at Flinders University. Mm. Tell, us, tell us a little bit about that. I know it's pretty interesting. Yeah. Well, last December, like I was talking to Phil about it for a while, and I had a lot of life situation stuff. Like I'm basically I'm a full time single dad now, and um, and it's hard to travel. And when you're doing at like at scale development, you got to be on a plane, you got to be overseas, you got to be talking to your investors all the time, and it puts a lot of pressure on, on parenting. And I'm getting old, and I'm getting sick of planes, you know? and I like Adelaide, you know, it's yeah. nice. Um, so, you know, Mighty Canaan was getting to the point where I couldn't contribute anything. Like, what a, you know, absolute roller coaster of a, a, a production. Like, there's so many talented people, so much good work and come, uh, good work coming in the door. Like, you know, there, there wasn't really much, that much I could do. So I wanted to do something where it felt like it was contributing, because I, I like to be, you know, part of it. And for me, I just, I missed working with a lot of young artists and I had been doing a lot of like going out to year 12 schools and try to, and as you know, advocating for parents to go, it's okay for your kid to want to be a game developer. It's actually yeah. a really good idea. Yeah. And parents going, no, you know, they have, <laughs> yeah, learn, yeah, have, yeah. have to learn how to cut hair. Yeah. Drive a truck. It's like robots will do all that and yeah. let, them, let yeah. them make games, you know, and, and I really liked it. And I got yeah. more and more involved with education. I did a lot of work with the NESA and then the opportunity came up to go down to Flinders and, and um, they had just built a motion capture facility which I don't think you guys even know yet because we're, we're just in the process of getting it back up and running post-COVID and, um, and you know I've always loved the students that have come out of Flinders they've got really good screen programs they have you know the rookies which is like one of the best digital art programs in the state you know they I think they won number one at a 518 units two years in a row like that. I mean they just there's some really high quality folks wow. like Elle McIntyre is an alumni and a lot of people I know are alumni so um, it was just a good opportunity to get back into the stuff that I really love which is working with young artists and shaping a lot of curriculum mm -hmm. which I'm helping with the uh, their new coursework and, and commercializing this motion capture facility they got. So we'll, we'll have a lot of news around that in the next three or four weeks. And it's been great fun. It's been about six months now. It's been really fun. That's good. It's great to hear. And it's, and it's also, you know, you get to tap into all the different, you know, you're sort of in a different role now where you're actually looking at all the different companies that are, that are uh, in Adelaide and you get to see from, you know, every level from a, from a higher level down to, you know, the indie teams that are out there. Have you, and that, you know, yeah, what do you have what do you have your eye on sort of locally or you know what have you seen out there that's sort of really piqued your interest and, and also you know internationally from from all the travel you were doing you know what really was it that stood out to you well it's it's i think locally the big intersect you know and this goes to why you know we're talking costa is that 
Games, I think, are the enabling technology because it essentially is something that is behavioral training system. And you heard about Endeavor RX just getting through, you know, FDA trials in the U.S. And I've been keeping an eye on that for about three years. I do think that it's one of the few creative mediums that lends itself to actually changing and improving human behavior. I think that there's core therapy. And I'm really keen on that. And there's a lot of talk around it. Everyone's seen the Jane McGonigal TED Talks and heard about that, but it's most of that stuff is thin. It's not really engaged. And I want to go a lot deeper into how, uh, uh, you know, you know, really good, uh, very relevant video game design can have a very positive effect on the people that are participating in it, both in terms of creating it um, and also consuming it, making sure that it's designed well. There's um, somebody in Adelaide by the name of Jane Cox has wrote a whole thesis on, you know, she calls it the Rosetta Stone of positive behavioral and positive psychology embedded within the design of your game, which I think is fascinating. No one would say that about a screenwriter or a film. They would say positive culture or, you know, it's like relevant or reflective of, but it doesn't actually kind of like, like train you and encourage you to behave in a more positive and healthy fashion. So I think that's, that's really cool. And that's something that I think we, we can get a lot of runs on the board here. But the big thing for me, obviously, was that moment where, you know, and I, again, full credit to Phil Mace, we're working yeah. on a Star Wars Wii game. Like, it yeah. should have been a dream job. Well, yeah. Not really. It's just, <laughs> just another job, you know? Yeah. And Phil walks up to me with an iPhone back in L.A. Uh, actually, yeah, it was around 2009, so it was a little more established. And he just goes, people are going to play games on this. I'm going to quit and start my own company, see it. Yeah. <laughs> and I was like, you're, you're a smart guy. I'll come hang out with you someday. And, and that was how Money Kingdom started. And that amazing transition, you know, mm. and, you know, and looking at Deneth over at Foxy, like, mm. you know, picking up the Fast Movers Award, you know, four years, three years ago, he started that yeah. company. And, yeah, and that's now a he's, he's, career change. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Aerospace engineer. Yeah. Game design. It's a running a video game company. Yeah. But I love that. And, and again, it's like we, you know, George Miller, the guy who made the Mad Max movies, he, he was like a, a general practitioner. He was, he was a proper doctor when he started making films, but you wow. hardly ever see that in other media. You know, you don't often see, you know, I'm like a professional chemist or, you know, mm. uh, and, and I'm, I'm now going to go out and write a novel. Maybe. But but I think games is it's definitely it's that thing where it's so new and it particularly in terms of gaming on mobile is so like undefined in terms mm. of what the production process is, what the audience experience mm. is, mm. that anybody who just wants to mess around with the hardware and the software could potentially have a run. And Jeanette's yeah. a great example of that, you know. And that's and that's exactly what we were covering, you know, earlier. Um, myself and Alex were saying that, you know, you don't have to have started off in you know in games or in game design or anything. You can you can come from any different uh, you know discipline and go exactly right comic book writer straight into uh, game development. Now, yep. you know with that, what do you see as sort of you know inhibiting us to or people to you know make that jump to to game dev and you know what is it that we're missing here in Adelaide specifically for that to actually happen? Oh yeah. Now, you know, I've got a lot of comment there. there. Very good. <laughs> <laughs> uh, for, for me, it's like I would not have had the opportunity to do game development in New York. Not at all. And, and a lot of that came down to the high cost of living. And that if you're, if, you're, if you're living there and the rent is relatively high or you're trying to run a business there and it costs a fair amount to, you know, to run all that studio space, like Rockstar's corporate headquarters are there, but their production studios aren't there. 
you know, not at all. Like I like, you know, I think some lead QA guys and a few producers who were in a building on 21st street when I went there, but all the actual work was being done all over the world in lower cost facilities, which is how they do a lot of film production and all. So I think that, that it's definitely a barrier is that if you can't access people in the industry to collaborate with, which is what you need to do, because it's the only way you learn how to make games is working in a studio, as you guys know, it's much, much better than working remotely all of the time. You have to have that peer interaction. You know, so it's the only way you know how to solve certain really tricky technical problems or just kind of lift your design ability and all. So I, I think that's the biggest barrier that we have in Adelaide is the, the lack of critical mass in a specific area. I think Game Plus has addressed a lot of that. Like I, I definitely think like Foxy probably couldn't have gone as far and as fast as they did if, if Dineth like didn't have those walls to knock down so we can open up another studio. But I remember the first day we were there and Matt Trebbiani from Team Fractal was like, you know, chatting to one of the guys from Mighty Kingdom about submitting stuff to Nintendo and what was that like and and yeah, we there's a guy standing there who had done that, you know. And that again, that wouldn't happen if we, if we didn't have that critical mass. And plus, having Team Cherry over at Epworth, along with some of the other guys that were in there as well, it, it helps. It helps. Yeah. It, it means that you can see somebody in the industry. It's accessible. You can go talk to them. Um, good on Patrick for kind of reigniting, um, I guess, what used to be ARG and now. Thankfully, it's called something other than ARG. No offense, yeah. ARG people. Everyone's going to hate me now. Yeah. But it's, it sucked. And come on, it sucked. <laughs> I think even even some of the early folks who were in it, like ARG, just had to like, oh, pass the yeah. in May. Yeah. But I, I think that, that chill out, hopefully we can get that up and running again when you see that yeah. many people in the room yeah. or active yeah. in the industry. Well, and that's the thing it's you know we've i've just walked into it and you know for myself i've only known it as agd but um i know that there was a lot of uh, history there with it being called arg but i mean you know it's i was saying this with alex as well it's it's about that community and i think something with games even in adelaide it's it's such a passion driven industry that yep. you, you get that help you know you ask someone for for a bit of assistance and they'll tell you exactly what they know and you know they'll point you in the right direction and they'll introduce you to the right person it's just something that you know, we haven't found on a, when, when I started, you know, in other industries, it definitely wasn't like that. So nope. it's, it's, it's interesting to know that, you know, game dev it has that, it has that passion, yeah. it has that drive. I think, it, I think what's unique about Adelaide is that you have a lot of really versatile uh, and skilled people because it is a small, um, it's, it, it's a small industry town, you know, you're either working for government or defense uh, or, you know, education in my case, and there's just not a lot in between it. If you go into film production, it's a very, very, very protected group of people. Like, you know, they work a bit with each other, but they're always pursuing the same kind of grant funding to help bootstrap their films. And they know that that's created flaws and created a lot of barriers, you know. Um, whereas game development, because we've, we've never really had a grant fund. I mean, let's face it, we still don't. Like that innovation fund isn't enough to keep you keep you afloat. It's, you, you can barely get anything out the door with that small a budget um we have had to rely on you know either looking after each other when the gfc hit and you know studios were collapsing all over the place there are a lot of people who just went back out the community and became biologists or house husbands or whatever and yeah. just didn't yeah. come back into the, into the scene so i think you know we're, we're kind of trained to look after each other and to be generous when the work does hit and share it around a little bit and don't be protective of knowledge because we are addressing an open market 
we aren't trying to book it into a festival or get in line to get something out of screen Australia. We're getting some out into the world, hopefully learning from it. And if, and if it hits, you know, and, and good on, uh, you know, Ari and Will for going out there and getting an additional, you know, project up and running with the money they made off Hollow Knight. Like, you know, we know we have to look after ourselves and we have to look after each other. It is, it's passion driven, but it's, it's also, um, uh, yeah, like a unified front. Like we all have the same problem. We can't get to our market. It's so yeah. hard to get through, yeah. you know, all the money that Tencent spends on <laughs> advertising yeah, exactly. and, you know, doing, doing a, you know, paying for installs. It's, mm -hmm. like, it's, yeah, it's, it's a fun market. And it is, it, I find it's really different. Like going all the way back to my early days in publishing, there were two or three people that looked after me when I was trying to apprentice as an editor, but um, not, not a lot of them. Mm. Um, and, and that was, I think, part of my social skills and my persistence uh, <laughs> that got me that apprenticeship stuff. Thank you, Brian Augustine and Mike Carlin. Having, um, having the loudest voice. Uh, yeah, yeah, but also, also like being really articulate. And yeah, I think, yeah. have I ever told you how I got my first job in, in comics? Like, uh, right. I think any, for the folks listening to this podcast, like this is the, absolute golden way to make sure you take advantage of opportunity right so <laughs> because new york city had the two big comic book companies both marvel and dc were there which you know fortunately is not the case anymore there's publishers all over the mm. place um well this is you know we're talking 1979 and uh and i just gotten out of uni and uh you know i loved comics and i really wanted to be a comic book writer even though i majored in screenwriting because there were no courses really for comics at the, the college I went to. And, uh, and I was walking around with portfolios because back then we didn't have flash drives with artist work on it. You had to physically carry boards and they were very expensive to reproduce, you know? And, uh, and I had to wear a business suit because I was walking up and down Madison Avenue and doing the whole New York advertising thing. But I had an Astro Boy pin. Yeah. Well, my little act of rebellion. <laughs> and then another character called Ranks Rocks that you've never heard of, right? Look up Tinino Liberatore, Alex. You'd, you'd love his work. Yeah, yeah, yeah. You'd love his work. A very. I don't know what happened to him, but he was. He was. He was pretty hot in the eighties. Anyway, I'm. I'm so imagining was, you strolling down like like Mad Men style. You know what I mean? The advertising. <laughs> I wasn't that cool, man. <laughs> I was a scrawny nineteen-year-old, you know, with a bad haircut and a cheap suit. I was not cool at all. But you know, you had to you had to do the thing, and you'd go off to Ogilvy yeah. and Mather. I was. So I was going up to Bantam Books one day, which is a publishing house in, in New York, and was dropping off some portfolios. And I knew that DC Comics was in the same building. And I loved what DC was doing. They were just starting to do really cool stuff like Swamp Thing and The Dark Knight. And they were just on the verge of doing Watchmen, which I didn't know until I got a job there. Like I actually saw the first page treatment that Alan Moore wrote of Watchmen oh, wow. on, on crunkly, erasable typewriter paper. It was pretty funny. <laughs> and, um, and, and, uh, and a friend of mine, Mitch Cutler, ran a comic book shop called St. Mark's Comics down on uh, 8th Street. And it was like, you know, I got to drop some off at Bantam in there in the same building. It was 666 Fifth Avenue, triple six. Like, how freaky is that? And uh, I'm going to be in the building. I'm, you know, I want to get a gig there. I really want to be an editor and a writer there. And like, who do you talk to at DC? Because he would order the comics and put them on the racks and then 
cut DC Comics a check. He's like, ah, oh, this person, Denise Conaty, you know, she works in accounting. I don't know if that's going to help. I was like, okay, but screw it. So I wrote an application. I put my CV together. I carried it with me in the portfolio. I went up the elevator. I put it on the desk. I put the portfolios in a bantam, took the elevator down to DC, walked in, walked up to Ruthie Thomas, who was the receptionist sitting at the desk, put the CV on it and said, you know, I just want to put my, you called it a resume back in New York. Oh, this is my resume and I'd love to apply for an entry level job. And my contact is Denise Conaty. Would you mind giving this to her? And Ruthie's like, yeah, sure. Good on you, Ruthie. Thank you. Like one chain of value. Yeah. And I didn't think anything about it for three weeks. I was like, yeah, message in a bottle, right? Yeah. Walking down the street, 14th street, right, going back to where the place was that I worked at that was the artist rep house and I had my portfolios and I had my suit and I had my ranks or ox and Astro Boy clothes and I pin on and this guy walks up to me and goes, you a comic book artist? Like totally yeah. random dude. Are you a comic book artist? Well, and, uh, and I'm still like a dipshit, you know, <laughs> holding my portfolios with my pins going, uh, no, why do you ask? <laughs> I was like, uh, portfolios and I'm like, Oh yeah, that's funny. Yeah, no, I'm really into comics, but I'm not a I'm not a comic book artist. I'd love to be a writer. And I said, Who are you? Are you a comic book artist? And he's like, Yeah, I'm Bill Ray. Now, now, 99.9% of people on Earth at that point wouldn't have known who Bill Ray was, but he happened to be the guy who was doing the Ren and Stimpy backgrounds for the cartoon oh, show way back when. Oh, and I and I knew a lot of the work that he did as a writer artist for this obscure comic book line called Pacific Presents, and he had this really cool kind of old retro Flash Gordon Alex Raymond style. Mm -hmm. And I was like, "Oh man, I love your work. You're so great." And I also knew he was doing work for DC. Yeah. <laughs> so I was like, "Can I buy you a coffee and talk to you about the industry?" Right. That's it. Yeah. Yeah. So I bought him. Got him a got him a coffee in New York and um, kind of pumped him for a bit of information, but in a nice and respectful manner, enthusiastic about his work, talked about like, wow, I really love that piece you did, love the spaceship designs. And I was like, thanks, man, he really appreciated it. And I was like, look, do you know of any kind of entry level job at DC Comics? And he's like, yeah, there's this job they call librarian. I don't know what you actually do. They got like their archives, their old comic books, and but everybody who's got that job for six months ends up getting promoted down to editorial. And I was like, thank you very much. Zoom, straight back to the office. Denise, hi Denise, my name's Dan Borzlin. I'm a friend of Pillars. I dropped the resume <laughs> off with Ruthie Thomas. I would like to interview for the job of librarian. And she's like, okay, got the job, got the job. And yeah, I would not it. be here today if I hadn't yeah, got that job. Yeah. That, was, that was my way in. It was just like always, and that is my message to you and everyone around you who wants to work in the industry, Know your craft, love that work, mm -hmm. like really have a good knowledge of what it is, because when that opportunity presents itself, if you're respectful, but passionate, mm. you'll get a gig, you'll get a hook in. So when um, he, he approached you on the street and asked if you were a comic book artist, and uh, you said no, was that like uh, some imposter syndrome kicking in that you were worried or? No, no, because I'm not a comic book artist. I can't draw for beads, man. Yeah. <laughs> and that was the thing. It was just like, it was my instant response was no. Yeah. <laughs> I, I want to write. If he asked me if I was a comic book writer, I probably would have said I would like to be. But no, that's not what he asked. Because I was carrying portfolios. Yeah. If I, were, if I were slinging like a, you know, a portable typewriter because there were no laptops. Back 
And yeah, it, you know, maybe it would have been a different result and I wouldn't be here today with you, Alex. Yeah. <laughs> We're so glad for that meeting. <laughs> <laughs> I sure am. I don't yeah. know if every one of my career is that. You know? <laughs> but, you know, that's, that, and, and that's yeah. the thing. It's like, I think what you're doing, Costa, in terms of like, you know, trying to um, find a way to uh, monetize your the craft that you love. You, you know, you love the fact that you're making games, but because it is so hard to find finance for it, to try to wrap that around like a relevant human outcome mm. is great. And mm. same thing with the guys at Melonhead. It's like, you know, you're following through on this original vision you had together mm. as a team and you just got to keep at it. You never know what's going to come out of it, but your plan B is never not to work in the industry. Your plan B is always to know the piece that, uh, is unique that you can contribute. And mine has always been writing, always been words and stories and talking and sales. And now I did wrote a lot of press releases for Mighty Kingdom. Yeah. yeah and yeah. you know, that's, that's exactly right. It's, and, and I think perfect thing with your story there is like you interacted with someone that you didn't even, or, you know, you really didn't know that well, but you knew of them and um, you know, it, it sort of, it benefited yourself and it also, you know, benefited the industry at the end of the day, you know, you being in the so. industry was, yeah. <laughs> oh, <I hope laughs> that's, so. what, that's what you tell the people when they ask you. Um, yeah, but, look, you know, I think I've yeah. done more good than harm. That's all I can yeah, say. Yeah, well, that's exactly right. <laughs> you know, and in saying that, um, you know, what, what does your sort of, what's your ideal South Australia look like in terms of game development, you know? What's uh, uh, like more of exactly what you guys are doing. You know, I, I'm the last two years and that's why I felt really comfortable taking the, the punt and, you know, trying to push the later part of my career into, you know, uh, artist development essentially mm. um, is the opportunity is so obvious. The fact that we've recovered from the GSC collapse and we're generating our own IP and, and, you know, and you guys are doing it more than I have in my career. And, I, and that's why I'm so impressed with guys like Dan Man. To build a company mm. that big, that fast off original mm. IP is so cool. And, you know, Team Cherry and Team Fractal, like it, you, yeah. you can see that we've hit that point where mm. the market is mature and diverse enough that if, you're, if you just keep at telling your story, and don't worry too much about the fee-for-service work. Like, we only had to do it at Mighty Kingdom because we wanted to scale, you know? It's like Phil just Phil and I just had an appetite for hiring people, I would say, mm -hmm. Phil more than me sometimes. Like, yeah. he would, he would he just, like, if he saw talent, he wanted it on a desk. He wanted yeah. it making games. And, and like, yeah. good on him. If you don't have that ambition, we probably would have never been able to prove that we had that talent base in South Australia, mm -hmm. right? Mm -hmm. And I think, I think that's what's so great about SA right now is that the – the industry is right where it needs to be with a little bit of massaging around the edges to make sure mm -hmm. you guys get support. That's the important thing. And it's not just money that money's a good yeah. thing, yeah. but it's, it's expert industry advice because we've got great screen support organizations, but we don't have the intelligence yet yeah. in the organizations. Like V is a really, really good sign of the SAFC getting smarter, bringing her in. Mm -hmm. um, but you know, we need more of that. You know, and I'm, I'm, I'm on the board of the Mercury and they're, they're definitely looking like besides me to have a bit yeah. more of that as well and just start incubating interactive yeah. screen story. So that's what you sort of see as what game devs are missing here. It's, uh, you know, support, obviously funding, but, you know, it's, it's more so just having that, um, 
the yeah the support to actually the, the knowledge base that that doesn't currently exist with yeah you know yeah yeah well yeah. you know if if you look at if you look at Victoria and you know Untitled Goose Game isn't necessarily going to make a studio but yeah. that's part of it and occasionally you'll get a crossy road coming out of it as well which yeah. obviously really really helped but a lot of that started with Clara Reeve who was at Chrome and mm. Film Vic picked her up when Chrome shut down uh, during the GFC and it was a really smart move. And they committed to make sure, you know, they had enough funding uh, in there to help incubate like uh, yeah. uh, of a commercial scale. So I still think that it's about 125 to 150K. Yeah. And last time I checked, it was Liam Rapp was running the program and he's somebody with a fair amount of experience, you know. And it's like because South Australia is smaller and because we often yeah. do have a brain drain to eastern states, it's it's a yeah. lot harder for the SAFC to get somebody like that. But they're, they're, it's yeah. it's a matter of will. Matter yeah. will. Should we be, you know, attracting other companies to come here, or is it, you know, is it more of, of a course. Case of, yeah. So it's it's almost yeah. wanting to see the reverse that we're actually, you know, getting people from the eastern states to come to South Australia. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Well, I, and believe me, that is my consistent message to this day. I was on yeah. the phone with a state government rep, not this afternoon. Like, believe me, I have not stopped advocating for you guys, man. Yeah. The good thing is now Thank instead you. of me putting a hand out and thinking, ah, he's just in it for Mighty Kingdom, he's in it for his shares, or he's in it for whatever. I don't have shares in MK, I never have. All mm. I wanted to do was grow the industry. Mm. And now they're, they're like, boy, he's walking the walk here. He's six months out. It's of no benefit to him at all mm, got mm. to constantly grumble in my ear about like get this policy right get this mentoring yeah. program better yeah yeah um, you're actually one of my first like stories of being in the industry of like something that will always stick me and i always tell everyone this is i don't you probably remember the meeting uh pat and i don't know why we were invited to this meeting but i think it was last year we were on like the 13th somewhere high it was high up because my ears popped i'd never been that high in the city for deloitte <laughs> Oh and, yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, and yeah. it was the—I think it was the government, local government, trying to be like, "How can we help more?" And I always tell people like, yep. you know, Dan, I was sitting next to you, and you just went back to everyone, and Pat and I just sitting there like wide-eyed, like we got to get a word <laughs> in, choose this word, we don't know what we're gonna say. We're looking around the table, and it's um, uh, it's it's you, it's um, Monkey Stack, um, yep. and yeah, constantly for like you've been consistent. You know, how do we? get the, the, the up and coming in how do we solidify what we have mm. and yeah i can attest to that <laughs> yeah well there, there were those guys who from the epworth building and i can't remember the name of their company i know they're still monomyth. There. yeah monomyth yeah. and and i think it was not justin i can't remember his name but he was really switched on and yeah. i, I got to reconnect with him like and, and you look at that you look at that intelligence in the room and the same thing like i think costa and i when we first met it was like an hour and a half mm. worth of crazy stuff and yeah i'm still trying to find a way to get him what he needs and i think we yeah. will um <laughs> yeah it, it this and, and phil's the same way like like you, you don't realize how passionate and philanthropic phil is he wants to see the industry as strong as possible. I handed off so much work when I was at MK when it didn't suit us. I've handed Appliquet jobs. I've handed Nucleus jobs. I think we hired Shark Jump to do some stuff on Shopkins in the early days when we just didn't have enough crew. You know, and I'll, I'll, I'll keep doing that to the end of my days. You know, that's, it's the stronger and more diverse our production environment is and the more folks like you are, are carrying forward. 
And, you know, and somebody asked me this once and they caught me off guard and it, it really rung a bell as to why I said it. They're like, what? you know, you're like inexhaustible, you know, don't you ever stop? And I was yeah. like, dude, I got to make sure my kid has a place to work in 10 years time. And it's true. Yeah. And I, yeah. I really want Maddie to stay here. Yeah. This yeah. is a yeah. beautiful, safe environment. And Maddie's a great artist and, you know, he's starting to learn Japanese and he's probably going to start picking up code, but I know his, one of his mates is Tony yeah. Albrecht's kid. Yeah, exactly. And it's, it's like, I really want him to have opportunity here because this is, you know, I don't, I don't want, you know, I don't want my, my kid to be disadvantaged by his dad mm-hmm. deciding to raise him here instead of in New York. But that's the thing. I mean, game dev, it cuts across all these different disciplines that, you know, it, it just makes perfect sense. You've got out, you've got creative outlet, you've got technical outlet, you've got so many different things that can all go on in the same project. It just, it, it's a, it's a no brainer as to why, you know, and especially you're, you're generating your own IP, especially like it's, it's, yeah, it's just something that I feel like, you know, needs to be more, you know, people need to, need to be more aware of it and also, uh, you know, understand that it's, it's the way of the future. Well, it's good folks like you, Custer, are doing that because you you are like a, as a person who's co-founded of a company where you're trying to create a bridge between trivial and relevant. And mm-hmm. and often, as you know, we've got a generational bias in our government. And sometimes it's very deliberate, but sometimes it's just unconscious. Like they, mm-hmm. they just don't get it. Mm-hmm. And because they've never really you know, had computer games as either a part of their passion and yeah. consumption in terms of entertainment. Um, and it's never been something they've cared to access as an industry that they've worked in. Like, you know, you hear Marshall talk about cybersecurity all the time, but what does that actually mean? Yeah. Whereas this is something that it's very tangible for you that you love to do and you know how exciting it is to work in it. And you see it as a, as a, as a joining of creative with technology, but a very relevant creative output. Um, and, and so what you're trying to do is make that uh, more impactful by putting that towards a health solution, which I think is really clever. The issue that folks like you, Alex, have is that you're an artist. You're an artist. You're an artist. But you wouldn't be recognized as an artist by people either in the VFX industry, and I know that from experience, and, and probably not in the museum, gallery, and traditional arts. Yeah. And, that's what, and that's where you're stuck. So you're in that middle between you're not seen as a valid and relevant art form, so you don't get money to make art for the sake of art, and that's how most arts funding works. But by the same token, you, nobody's investing in you because they're not necessarily how you're going to make your money back. Let's mm. hope, and I'm going to listen and say to everyone who owns property, all your parents are going to win now. Hey, kids, let's hope the property market wraps itself in Australia. <laughs> like, boom, you know? <laughs> Because we really need to stop just shoveling cash into bits mm-hmm. of dirt and whacking crappy houses on them and saying, that's your investment pool. Mm-hmm. In the U.S., money floats through the stock market. Like, look at that bouncing all over the place every time Trump says yay or nay to anything. It's like, mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. You know? and, that, and, and that's where we need to be. We need to have a much more liquid and invested, you know, uh, investment pool, a much smarter finance pool. And the first people to say that are bankers. Like I, the, the mm-hmm. guy I, I used to work with who work, still works with Mighty Kingdom as finance guy, he used to work at ComBank. And he's like, man, the banking system in the U.S. is so much smarter. They're, they have much more of an appetite for risk. They'll, they'll look at the market you're going into and they'll get a little idea about the product. They'll probably glom a lot of the back end of it. Like, you know, we're going to take three times what we give you if it hits. 
but they'll go for it. Whereas here, super conservative. And, and yeah. SA is like the most conservative of the super conservative finance sector. How does, a, how does an indie game dev team, you know, uh, navigate through that? Navigate through, obviously, being in a conservative country and then also say, you know, uh, uh, economically conservative state as well. That's a good question. I don't have an answer. Yeah. I really don't. Yeah. I, I've yeah. seen, like, if you look at somebody like Matt, who one man army, like, uh, and, and really sharp on how the market works. Like he really understood what was undersupplied in steam when he went in there. And, and I'm, uh, I'm, I'm in awe of him, like super, super intelligent human being. He had his marketing down, I think before he really went in there and started putting a lot of labor into the code. Uh, you know, I think it's a different thing for each. Like if you look at the guys at Team Cherry, they were just like the right thing at the right time, smashed yeah. it. Like beautiful work. But there are a yeah. lot of beautiful games out there that didn't have that kind of traction, you know, yeah. in the marketplace. And I think Deneth was like, he played a really good short and long game. You know, he got product out there really quickly yeah. that he had complete control of. And then as soon as he, he got that traction in it, he took advantage of every single opportunity he did to get a little bit of additional investment without giving up control of the company and keep getting products out. And you look at how quickly they're releasing new content and stuff. They're like, bang, 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 bang. Yeah. And I think Mighty Canaan, we sat in the middle. Like when, when I started at MK, uh, we still had clients like real estate clients and social services clients. We did, you know, a bit of fee-for-service work just to kind of keep the supply in. And a little bit of that money, you know, whatever we had left at the end of the day, we would try to set aside for original IP. Um, so all of those can work. Again, if going back to my, are you a comic book artist? If if you're ready for that opportunity, you know, and always think about that. you got to really be quick on your feet. If that window opens where you think you're going and, and it looks like it's going to give you six months worth of grace, um, what's your next investment? What are you going to go to next? Like we, we had this crucial moment at MK where we had this huge job from Disney that came in and it was like pure luck. Somebody was at a hotel in Melbourne who knew Phil and I. Seriously. And yeah. this guy's there and they're having a drink and he's like, Hey, you, you sound like you're Scottish. Where are you from? And I was like, oh, I'm actually from LA. I work for Disney. <laughs> and I'm, and I'm here as scouting game developers. Yeah, I'm, I'm not kidding. Mm. And, and, you know, bless his soul, Brenton's like, oh, I know some game devs in Adelaide, man. Really? Yeah, yeah. Mighty Kano. And it turns out that Paul Hellier, who was, who was the guy that was commissioning, kind of knew uh, this guy, Andy Green, from way back in the UK. And, and he used to be me and Phil's executive producer when we were at Chrome. So he's like, oh, yeah, they're good guys. They do good work. You should, you should yeah. talk to them. And, yeah, Paul pushed his flight out, flew up Adelaide. We had a quick chat. He gave us a little bit of opportunity. I think it was about a 60K gig. And it's like, show me. See what you can do. Mm. And we, like, we got very, very serious and delivered. Um, and then they gave us a massive one, like, well into the six figures job. And, you know, and we delivered. We delivered. We got it out the door. And because Disney was moving a bit slow in terms of turning over assets because yeah. they were producing and giving to us and then we bolted together in Unity, um, we, we kept some of that extra to take a punt on a little thing called Shopkins because that, that landed about the same time. Yeah. And we had a, like Disney, it was straight fee for service, no participation in the back end. So we did that work as efficiently and as quickly as we could. And then any money that we had left over, we were like over delivering a bit on Shopkins because they were, you know, going to give us a, a pretty good chunk of the back end. And we had a really good relationship with them and they were in Melbourne so we could talk yeah. to them. 
Yeah. You'd fly there and have conversations. Yeah. The drop of a dime. And um, that was it. That that was really the foundation. That yeah, was the, the thing. It, we, all we from the conversation, really, really. You know, that's, yeah. it's, again, same thing, right? You just got to talk to people. Mm. Got to be out there. And, yeah, and don't screw it. up. Like Phil's got this really fundamental thing. And, and you know, it's because he, he's such a nice guy and he's so non-confrontational. I was talking to him today about a difficult conversation he had to him. He's like, he hates doing that stuff. <laughs> so that's what, he, that's what he got me in for. I'm, I'm, I'm fine with confrontation. But, um, <laughs> but Phil's whole thing is don't be a dick. Like just, you mm. know, mm. be respectful, share the work around. Uh, if the opportunity comes in, like do it. Yeah. Uh, don't don't get ahead of yourself. And yeah. yeah, like just be decent to human beings. Yeah. And I actually heard um I always mispronounce his name. It's uh, Takai Watini, the guy who directed Jojo Rabbit. Yeah. Uh yeah, 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 yeah. I know. Yeah, yeah. And and you know, there and this guy's talking to him on a podcast and just asking him about it. he had this unique approach and he had this voice and, and you know, they're doing a whole Thor movie yeah. just because you're willing to direct it. And it's yeah. like yeah. How, how do you and he's like, I just like working with nice people. Yeah, <laughs> you know, an actor's love him I mean, yeah. because he just yeah, he's yeah. there and he's just loving the work and he's yeah. you know respects everybody's contribution on the set and and it's clear that like Chris Hemsworth's like yeah I'll do Thor again loves it yeah absolutely love that guy he's yeah. great to work with he's not a jerk you know yeah, yeah. not you know Brian Singer going off and having a binge and then getting sacked off of Freddie Mercury yeah. project yeah yeah, well, yeah. I don't want to work with that guy yeah. either. <laughs> You know, don't a, be Brian Singer. There's your yeah. there's your simple answer, Alex. <laughs> How to succeed in video games. Don't be Brian don't, Singer. Don't be, that's, your, that's your number one piece of advice to indie game devs in yeah. South Australia. I'm waiting for the lawyers to ring me now. Because you know, <laughs> yeah, that's something um, Costa and I were talking about, about how the, the creative community is, uh, and the programming communities always kind of seem to have a pattern of we were shit on, sorry, we're going to shit on. And that's wow. just how it goes. And we're like, we got to be the, and I remember Melon had us, us having that chat and, you know, Pat's doing the uh, work yeah, nice with AGD. Yeah, but that's the thing. We, we need to like amp it up to like, if, if, if we idle at eight out of 10 on the nicest, we have to be idle on 20 because we need to, to be a positive environment. We need to be like, we need people to be like, we want to be a part of this. We need to come over here. We need to like, stop it in its tracks of the as I said the we were shit on so we're gonna shit on like it has to be like look it sucked but we can be take away td you know we can we can keep this going uh, look, I'm, I'm with you yeah and that's yeah. the thing people will want to work with you again because you respected them you know mm. and and it's gonna get hard man these these gigs are hard yeah. so many times you remember dr mike over at aie yeah you met dr mike yeah yeah the, I remember the time he turned to me at like four o'clock in the morning because we were just like we we're in the middle of like trying to go gold master and it was just not going well. You know, like the, we were on a really old build of an engine and the code was super crusty and we we're having to do full efigs. We had to do like translation across five languages simultaneously and release on three different SKUs simultaneously and it all had to shoot up alongside you know the DVD release of the TV series that the thing was based on. It was just brutal. And there's so many times I'd bring that poor guy up at three o'clock in the morning and go the build's broken again like i gotta sub an iso to testing like now please come in and just make a one-line change <laughs> you know and he would and mike would man bless his soul he'd come in there and he was scottish broken and one day i was sitting there and it's middle of the night and i'm like you know 
empty Thai food containers all over my desk. And <laughs> seriously, my, my partner at the time thought I was having an affair. She simply didn't believe I was working these hours. I'll like strap a GPS to my butt. <laughs> like it's just bed, office, bed, office, bed, office, petrol, bed, office. Right? Who's this petrol? We, yeah, who's that? Who are you, who are you seeing in that OTR? <laughs> For all you people listening overseas, OTR is a local uh, uh, gas station. Show. Yeah. <laughs> you know, where you can go take an automobile. Yeah. Gas. <laughs> anyway, so um, so there's this there's one night where things are just going wrong and I'm freaking out and I'm losing my mind. You know, it's basically what you do when we're trying to go, go master. And Mike just turns to me and I, I won't try to mimic his beautiful accent, you know. But he just turns to me and is like, Dan, it's four o'clock in the morning haven't slept much and uh, you have an email to write and I have a highly complex math equation. So <laughs> can you just give me some time? <laughs> I'm like, I broke him. Do whatever you need. That <laughs> sounded like a broken man. That sounds like someone at the end of their week. Yeah. <laughs> it was so like, and his face looked like papyrus. Like, <laughs> was so, he's like, this game's killing me. We're never going to ship this thing. We shipped it. We shipped it on time. We what project was that? Clone Wars. Clone Wars. Oh. Oh. That's a crown. Yeah. yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, yeah, it was a crown. Like right. the, the, Carl Sizikowski remembers this, man. I, on the day we had a gold gold master and there was all this delay and pressure and and you know you could sony you could deal with a bit in terms of getting stuff through compliance and, and microsoft a little bit but nintendo forget about it right mm. you got three weeks and if you fail you get bounced out see you some other time you know book it in months from now right mm. and it was 35 grand to submit one build Oh, wow. yeah brutal it is such a different world dude yeah <laughs> So we, we, you know, we'd gone through like rigorous testing for months. People from LucasArts flew down. They were staying in hotels. They were sweating us for weeks. It's like, it was just gruesome and we had to ship. So we got to the point where the whole project had just delayed enough that we had one chance of getting through submission with Nintendo. One chance. If we missed it, we shipped late. And at that point, the Wii was like the biggest installed console, you know, of that generation of consoles. Mm. And the, you know, that version that was released on the Wii that would have been the one that would sold the most copies into the target market for, you know, the, the show that they were doing. Like it was, it was the family console. So we had to, we had to ship. We had to ship. Yeah. And I was well aware of that and made well aware of that numerous times, numerous <laughs> times. So, so I got into the office on the day we were going to Goldmaster, LucasArts approved Goldmaster. We had an amazing run of like 99% hit rate on closing bugs. You know, we had it and I whacked that disc into the thing and I sat in this musty old chair on Franklin Street and I played that game three times in succession front to back over the course of 24 hours wow. just sitting in that chair going through it and making sure like making absolutely sure no matter when that phone rang from somebody in japan's like can you please explain on level 22 why the geometry has this gap you could jump through that and, you know it's like i wanted to make sure i knew that that game was rock solid and carl was just bringing me coffee and food and going you're insane <laughs> like 24 hours man from 10 a.m saturday all the way through to even later than that it was like midday sunday i just sat in that chair well, well that is dedication 
That's, oh, that's, well, we shipped it, man. We shipped yeah, it. Exactly. Yeah. That's a good shit. Good and then I got fired. Yeah. <laughs> oh, no. Yeah, so oh, no. I always remember you as the producer, the one guy who delivered on time and on budget, and you got fired. Yeah. <laughs> so did everybody else. Like, the, the whole studio just went like. Yeah. yeah. Uh, they waited to the end yeah. until you did that that 24 hour run. In oh, yeah. Well, I, I knew it was coming. <laughs> like, I kept yeah. asking the guys up in Brisbane, like, yeah. am I going to be around in October? Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> That's and a thing, right? Like, I mean, job. the the it's it changed so much back then. I mean, that was really like another whole generation. You know, it seems like a whole other generation of game devs. And you know, now all that indie stuff sort of really launched mm. after all of that collapsed. You know, after that whole the GFC and all that it really yeah, became it's beautiful. Popular. Yeah, it's amazing because it's like you're controlling your destiny now. You you look yeah. at people who are releasing what they want when they want. You have this mm. fantastic process now of being able to just make changes and upload, you know, iterations of the build. You don't have to worry about this, press it onto a piece of plastic and then mm. stick it in boxes and ship it around the world. The big issue with Nintendo at the time, there was only like two fabrication plants in the world that could do the discs. They spun backwards. So like yeah, Xbox Nintendo. and Sony, yeah, yeah. Well, <laughs> well, but it was clever. Yeah. But, you know, the other guys, they could, you know, they could, they could fab discs like crazy because it could go to any plant. But Nintendo, the only two, only two. Yeah. And yeah, it's, it's different now because now you can bake off that piece of code. You can go through a you know, moderately complex process of getting it up to the app store or Steam or whatever. Um, but, you know, if hopefully you're not shipping junk, but if you run into some issues, yeah. you can quickly sub a, a fix, you know. And that was, yeah. like back then it was called the day zero patch. And it was a no, no, you should never do that, you know. But yeah. I'm putting my disc in my Xbox and then I'm going to, you know, again on my, if I'm lucky, yeah. 700k a second connection, download yeah. the entire game again. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah. That, was, that was Halo Master Chief Collection when that came in. Yeah. Everyone did that, and we this was just before we had the uh, uh, NBN, NBN, yeah, yeah, yeah. So everyone's like, Oh man, can't wait to play it next week, yeah, yeah. It literally was 30 gig update or something on, on yeah. day one, yeah. yeah. It's just expected, it's now. yeah, yeah. It's not good, it's not good, Sorry. but you know, again, you go back to mobile games, you go to indie. Um, and that's cool. And, and I hope that Apple Arcade really ends up creating a lot of opportunity for people who want to do really premium, beautiful, culturally uplifting product. You know? <laughs> there's, there's some gorgeous games in there. That's yeah, great. Yeah. Yeah. In, um, in that situation with, with yourself and Dr. Mike at four in the morning, would that occur today with these day zero patches and stuff like that? Would you still have hit that block? Not a question for me. Uh, <laughs> uh, I suspect yes. Yeah. <laughs> Occasionally I go online, I check Facebook, I'm like, ooh, they're in the shit. Yeah, <laughs> yeah the other day it was like, I was talking to a friend of mine who's in industry and, and he's like, this is the reason I haven't been in touch. And, and I'm like, dude, I'm one of the few people in the state who understand exactly how you feel. <laughs> You have a good rest. I'll yeah. see you in August. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. It, look, it's 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 a hard business. The expectations of quality are very, very high. And if you're delivering, like, as soon as you hit a certain market where you've got an external investor, as soon as you get to that point, and there are people who are investing money from overseas, you know, I always I always tell Phil, like, he doesn't, yeah, I don't understand why people kind of, like, make these weird decisions when they're clients. The number one job of a client, Alex, is to look after their job. It's not your game. It's not you. Mm. And you just have to accept that. You know, yeah. It doesn't matter who they are. It doesn't matter how nice they are. It doesn't matter what part of the world they come from. 
they got problems on their end that they need to solve. And, you know, and they can't support you unless they are bulletproof and Teflon. You know, so the thing you got to do is you just got to keep that relationship sweet as, mm-hmm. you know, be transparent, be honest. We used to call it eat the frog. You know, it's like, how are you doing today? It's like, how was the build last night? Time to get on the phone and eat the frog. <laughs> <laughs> Sorry, man. Yeah. 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 It's completely busted. Yeah. Maybe tomorrow. <laughs> Doing my best. It's, I haven't yeah. slept in three days. <laughs> Got the name of my child. <laughs> oh, <no. laughs> it happens. It happens. Yeah, and, and, you know, and, it, and, it'll, and it'll happen numerous times during your mm-hmm. career. Every, mm-hmm. every time mm-hmm. you take that risk. And these, are the, that risk. these are the stories the indies now coming up have to hear. Because yeah. the alternative <laughs> is the it's like the GDC talks. Um, that's something we've been going through at the moment. Is Oh, yeah. And their word, like the, the titles are so like, oh, I want to quit. Like they're like, you suck, your game sucks and everything sucks. Oh, I'm going to listen to your hour talk about this, you know, like, but that's all we got, you know, like we need these stories to be like, okay, these builds do have bugs. These are three day, you haven't slept in Things three days. Things go wrong. Yeah. Things go wrong. So there's going to be problems. Yeah. Yeah. What's, what's the number one, uh, what's the number one thing you want to tell uh, our audience or, you know, uh, indie game devs that might be listening, um, you know, a piece of advice if you could give them one. Uh, look, man, I'll, all I do is I love you folks, no matter who you are, no matter where you are. If, if you are drawn to this medium and drawn to this industry and feel like this is the thing you've got to do, and I'm sure there's a lot of people around you, parents and loved ones who are going, seriously? Stick it out, man. You know, it's, it's, it's such an accommodating industry and market because it is so big and just be prepared to fail. You know, there Mm -hmm. is no safe job anymore. No one's going to give you anything like if things were already decaying pre COVID, they're so much worse now, you know, so you might as well pick something that you're going to have to really work diligently and hard at and really be like an exceptional professional in terms of what you do. And I would definitely take from these two people that I'm doing this podcast with people who really understand at an age much younger than me, how to behave in a professional and respectful manner. Like these guys are great. And I think that's the great thing about indie development is that as soon as you get into that room and you form a team and you understand how each person on that team is contributing to something that lifts the overall quality of the product, stay really focused on your audience, just do it. Do not give up. If you got to go off and move furniture, that's how I got through university. If you got to go off and do any kind of job, it doesn't mean you're not an artist. It doesn't mean you're not a, a game developer. It's just you don't have to be doing it full time, you know, but don't ever give up ever, ever. And 35 friggin' years, and believe me, (laughs) there are times I've been up at four o'clock in the morning, like at a petrol station, you know, (laughs) working there, you know, and and writing scripts, you know, every time there wasn't somebody there, I was like, just stick stick with it, man, stick with it, because it's an amazing market. Yeah. And you guys know, it's like your, your first six months in, like, you learn so much working on a team. Yeah, yeah, can't be taught. Yeah, fantastic. Yeah, then that's um, yeah, it's exactly right. You know, keep at it, and I think that's great for everyone to hear. And, and I think it's really encouraging to have uh, you know a voice like yours in the industry and uh, supporting everyone. 
Thank well, you. I hope to see you at four o'clock in the morning at some point. <laughs> yeah. and, uh, yeah. I'll bring you your Thai food, and yeah. I'll go. Yeah. Good luck, kid. <laughs> we'll solve that equation. I'll go to see you guys. We'll we'll see you at the petrol station at four a.m. Yeah. Well. I'll bring you some lasagna. <laughs> ah, thanks, man. I'll have some chili yeah. ready for you. <laughs> All right. Thank uh, you for real, coming real on. pleasure, man. Thank thanks, you so thank much, you. Dan. Yeah.